you know, the law of prayer is the law of belief, right? Lex Horandi, Lex Credendi. Uh, and if you pray but don't understand, what is your prayer life really like? Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to the Orthodox Christian Podcast. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Father Timolian Pratis. And for everyone listening or watching, Father Tim, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell everyone what you spend your time doing. Hi everyone. Uh, like, uh, thank you so much, uh, First Max, for having me here. Um, my name is Father Tim Timoleon Prades. Uh, I am a Greek Orthodox priest of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of Canada. Um, I uh, I'm married with two kids. Um, I came to Vancouver in 2014 in December. This is my first assignment as a parish priest here. Um, together with that, I'm the uh, youth director of the Archdiocese. I uh, uh, the spiritual director for Camp Metamorphosis BC, Camp Met, um, and uh, also again trying whenever I can, I guess, to watch a Leafs game. Yeah, I I, I will say what I uh, <laughs> what team I root for, even though the Canucks aren't that bad. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. Wonderful. So from what I know, you did grow up in the Orthodox Church. So just tell everyone a little bit about that experience, maybe from the early years, what that looked like at home versus, say, in the parish and uh, as you grew up. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm a cradle Orthodox uh, Christian, baptized, uh, you know, a few uh, a few months old, uh, together with four other kids. Uh, and I remember seeing video of the baptism, which is kind of cool because uh, I was... I'm going to be 41 this year. So, you know, back then it didn't really exist. Uh, and seeing, you know, so many people and, and uh, just like a, a full church, it was kind of wonderful to see how everyone came together as a community of faith. And now, you know, how we have baptisms and they're just like kind of standalone. And here I was with four other kids to get baptized. Um, I was always very much inside the church. I wanted to be a priest since I was three years old. So, you know, I didn't really want to do anything else. Everybody else wants to become police officers, you know, firemen, lawyers, whatever. Um, you know, I wanted to be a priest. And um, I kind of felt out of place, I guess, when, uh, uh, when people asked me what I wanted to be. Then, you know, through various things that happened in, in, in life, um, all of a sudden, I just said, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like, I, I want to be a priest. So what? And I should have done it earlier. I remember that I had said it in, in grade eight in my in my class when they finally asked me. And I should have done it earlier because all the girls thought that it was cute that I was like living my dream. And all the guys came to me for dating advice and stuff like that, which is kind of hilarious, right? If you think about it. But it's like, you know, who are we going to go to? Let's go to the person that, uh, you know, we think is... A little closer to God, right? Um, and then throughout high school, um, there were various things that were going on in the world at that time, uh, like uh, the war in Serbia, for example. And I remember that uh, there was a Serbian Orthodox student that was uh, there. We would go for lunch every like second, third day to be able to chat and um, for her not to feel alone. And that's one of the things um, I remember it's like, you know, this is what being a priest is really like. It's not just saying, you know, peace be with all of you kind of thing in the, in the funny clothes that you wear. This is, this is what you have to do. So, and stuff like that happened throughout high school. Uh, I graduated, went to the uh, Patriarchal Toronto Orthodox Theological Academy um, and got my uh, bachelor's in theology. Um, I became youth director of the Archdiocese uh, for the first time. Um, and uh, as a lay person, I remember a, a priest had told me, you know what, like, if you're actually going to do this job and you're going to do it right, maybe you should get some more training. I went to Tyndale Seminary in Toronto and uh, did a master's uh, in divinity with a specialization in youth and family ministry. So all of a sudden I started to see this other side of Christianity that many cradle Orthodox people, we don't appreciate, I guess, right? Uh, let's use that. Uh, let's use that word for now, right? And uh, they can offer so much, obviously not the fullness of the truth, but um, they have they have truth and they have ways that we should be able to sit back and, you know, to in humility, to sit back and say, you know what, I am going to take that. I am going to be like St. Basil the Great said and, you know, be like the bee, right? And take what's good and, and, and leave the rest. So I really enjoyed my my time there. Um, after, after that, um, I got married 
in, uh, in 2014, and then after that became a deacon and a priest. I served for a while uh, at um, uh, Holy Trinity Greek Orthodox uh, Community in London, Ontario, because that's where my, uh, my wife was from, that's where we were living. Um, and like all of that, now all of a sudden, like the culmination being, you know, this, this letter that I, that I got uh, and saying that I needed to come here. So I'm like, my whole life, I've been waiting for for this, right? As a as a cradle orthodox, and then it was it was interesting to be able to have that. In Greek, it's called tocharo, beyond benthos, this this joyful sorrow. You know, the sorrow yeah. that I'm going to be leaving. You know, my family, my wife's family, and we're going to be coming. You know, to a foreign land, if you will. Even though it's BC, it's wonderful here. It's fantastic. Um, but you know, the joy that I'm finally going to get to do what. I always wanted to do and to be able, by the grace of God, to be able to to minister to these people that God has, you know, entrusted me just like he does for for every priest. Um, being a cradle Orthodox Christian, I will say um, for a very long period of my life too, um, was because we went to a Greek Orthodox church and because the English translations were very few and far between, there's a lot of Greek. And um, it's something that we see over time, and especially with the Divine uh, Liturgies Project and uh, now with the Digital Chanter Stand, which I think is amazing. And every single person who goes to church should be able to, uh, uh, you know, should go there and, and, and live the service. Um, I think that we're going to a place where we always want it to be. Uh, and with, uh, you know, as a chanter first myself and now as a priest to be able to see that journey where people chant along with me uh that it's not an opera that people are understanding more and this level of catechism that was an afterthought in the beginning now slowly but surely um you know especially with uh, you know efforts of my brother priests who are amazing um that now all of a sudden catechism is key. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, just to go back yes, to those I'm sorry, early that was stages. kind of a long-winded answer, I guess, right? Of uh, uh, you know my 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 journey. I'm sorry about that. No, absolutely, it's a it's a good frame, and now we'll just investigate some of the different aspects of that. So you started by talking about how uh, when you were three years old, you knew that you wanted to be a priest, and that just intensified throughout your life. So that's a pretty unique story. So what was it about being a three-year-old or if you can uh, have any memories of that time or maybe um, things that your parents have told you, how did you know so young that you wanted to be a priest? I always liked going to church. I felt that it was like my second home and sometimes I even wanted to be there more than home. Uh, you know, I love my parents. I love my home, but it was just, it was this otherworldliness that I felt even as a kid. Um, and my grandparents who lived with us, my, my dad's parents, um, especially my grandfather, uh, when I said that I wanted to become a priest, uh, like a lot of, like a lot of people that want to become priests, at least of what I've heard from, from them as well. You know, we started, I started to play church at home. So we would come back from church, we would have lunch and then we'd go upstairs and have this, <laughs> you know, like little liturgy or whatever for and and he would be my he would be my chanter and i just i i loved that that it was um uh, that i would be able to kind of live this you know unique liturgy if you will right um and then i sit back and and i'm like yeah i i really like this uh, at the same time when that was going on i knew that i really wanted it because there were people um you know inside the, the greater community and even some like distant relatives and whatnot that were like you should be a lawyer you should do something else you know um it's silly kind of thing like you know we go to church but we kind of don't believe it even though they didn't really come out and say it like that even though one of them did um and then it was no you're absolutely wrong uh, and that christ is the way um I, I, I remember after one of those things, it's like, I totally know that I want to be a priest if God will have me because he gave me so much. And this is just like my little piece of the mosaic to be able to give back to him. Um, so yeah, that's 
uh, and after all of those experiences, right, it was like it just intensified, 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 and just um, that's how I that's how I knew, right. Um, and I'm kind of mm. glad that it was from three years old uh, rather than like from later on. Right, right. And what would the home life be like at that time? Like, did you guys ever uh, have prayers at home or how was orthodoxy expressed in your home itself? I would pray. Uh, I don't think that it's the kind of like picturesque, let's stand in front of the icon corner altogether. Uh, I know that like, we would pray obviously at meals we would pray at nighttime altogether um i pray a lot with my, with my grandparents um uh, you know incense at home um uh, you know venerating uh, icons and then that thing that i told you about the, the, the plain church which uh, um you know for a child obviously uh, is is you know you're you're not playing with uh, toys and Legos and all this other stuff. You're you're want to dedicate yourself to God. So I would say like all of those things combined um, was uh, was that expression. Uh, and as we all got older, obviously like those things changed. Right um, when I became a chanter, it was very difficult to be able to have that home prayer life for me personally, because it's like, well, I kind of got it out of the way, right? It's like, I checked it off this imaginary list that exists. And then it's like, well, okay, I don't need to do this anymore. And it's like, nothing could be further from the truth because then it just takes you away from where you really need to be. Uh, and to have that, uh, that, that Christ is your center. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, prayer life is not just about words. Um, it's about that, not even connecting, that communion uh, that you have together with Christ and to live that liturgy after the liturgy, like uh, Father Alexander Schmidt uh, says in one of his books. Mm. Mm. And in terms of uh, being involved in the parish growing up, was the liturgy conducted in a language that you understood? Because I know for some people raised in Orthodoxy, it's actually an older form, say, of Greek that's being used that's uh, different from the modern vernacular. Yeah, so 98% um, of the divine liturgy was in, uh, it was in Greek. So it was just, you know, and, and I would have to chant it as well. Like uh, Matins was 0% in, uh, in English. And don't you dare, you know, kind of thing, say, say anything in English. Um, so it was, it was good for me because I was able to connect that way. I found it home. Uh, but so many other people were like, I, I can't connect because I don't understand what's going on. And that's why something like right now in my, uh, in my parish, if I see one person that I know doesn't understand Greek, we will do like a true, as much as we can, a truly 50, 50 matins and, and, and liturgy. And, um, I think that a, a bigger problem, uh, the two big problems back then were the lack of liturgical books um in uh, you know that are translated into english and a lack of the personnel uh, because if you don't have a chanter that you know is going to chant in english or they think that it's horrible or whatever you know for whatever reason they have then you can't really do anything and the priest is kind of handcuffed um that's why like i glorify god that here i am not handcuffed and that all of my chanters can chant in english and in greek and it's fantastic so, mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and so it sounds like uh, it was performed or uh, liturgy was done in a language that you actually understood. So I, what I was getting at there is sometimes in um, it might be more the case in, in Russian parishes where it's like an old church Slavonic that contemporary people don't actually speak anymore. So it, it sounds like, though, yeah. in the parish you attended, um, it was modern Greek. Uh, no, it wasn't modern Greek. It was okay. It was that it was that liturgical Greek that. Um, that was being said. Now I'm saying that, like now as a as a priest, it's different. Back then is this liturgical Greek that people insisted on, as if it's a tie into the old country, tie into our uh, our our.
our history and whatnot. But then when you would go up to them and you would just say, you know, I want some of the liturgy in English. And they would say, no, we have to do it all in, in Greek, the way that the church says. I'm like, okay, fine. Let's do a little test. And I said to them, what does eti ke eti mean? Like that. And they would always say, so etos right now in, in, uh, in Greek, if you, you use it to say the word year, but that's spelled with, a, with an ita, with a yota, uh, with the way that it is in the liturgy, it actually means again. Mm -hmm. So etiquette, everyone would always say, you know, for years and years, I'm like, you're wrong. You don't even know the liturgy I go that you're going to. You don't know what we're saying. And they go, why? You're, no, it means that. I go, yeah. But with a yota, it means again and again. And then it would look dumbfounded. Um, and then it would be like, why do you go to church? And then all of a sudden, you know, this longer conversation would begin of, you know, the reasons that we go. And I think that for people that wanted that change, um, it was hard fought. And then it would, it was a very slow progression. I don't know what it's like now in the, you know, two out of the three parishes that I was at as a kid. Uh, as a teenager, I went to the cathedral at the, of the, the Annunciation of the Virgin Mary in Toronto um, and, and as a young adult there to go and chant. And uh, the priest there was quite insistent on, on Greek and English. Uh, and that was the first time that I ever saw this type of attempt at a balance uh, in my life. And I loved it. I'm like, this is how church needs to be like. Mm -hmm. So when you were uh, being raised and when you started to chant in church, uh, was the liturgical Greek something that you slowly acquired over time that was more of like a, a technical skill for participating in the liturgy that most, I, I'm kind of curious, would other people raised Greek have that familiarity or that ability to understand liturgical Greek or was that something more uh, particular to you? more more particular to certain individuals even i when i was chanting a lot of the stuff it would just be sounds nice i know how it's chanted because you know this is the model hymn for it but do i know what i'm saying uh you know and and even that question is uh you know should be asked even today right um and that's why um you know this insistence on one language that is again like trip slavonic uh, for example, um, it, it, we should sit back and we should say, you know, the law of prayer is the law of belief, right? Lex orandi, lex credendi. Uh, and if you pray but don't understand, what is your prayer life really like? And it's not an indictment on the language or anyone. It's just, it's an honest question. And that's why I think that as much as I wanted to connect back then and to, and to be a good Orthodox Christian, that huge piece of the pie was missing, that that understanding. And all of a sudden, you know, when these things that we have now that we take for granted are available, it's like, wow, why, why couldn't this have been, you know, years ago? But you can't dwell on the past. You can only take a look at the past so that it serves as a, um, uh, a model for what the future should look like and shouldn't look like if that yes sense. yes yeah yeah and and so were there other um elements of your life being raised orthodox that were were unique in terms of i mean you're sounds like you're raised in ontario uh, may have been in sort of an orthodox community and had some friends there but i imagine that you're mixing with the wider culture as well so what were some interesting aspects about just being raised orthodox um that someone not raised in an Orthodox setting would maybe find interesting? Um, something that's unique. I think that uh, someone that's not being raised uh, in an Orthodox uh, home uh, never has the appreciation of, I'll, I'll say a funny one first, of uh, having that, you know, other day for, for, for Pascha, for, for Easter, right? And having to take off Good Friday at school and being like, well, you know, like all your friends and people that are in class are like, well, why do you get this day off? It's like, well, you know, actually, this is what we celebrate. And it was a momentary time for witness. Um, so that's that's something that I think that people can't appreciate that that are in Orthodox. Um, in the in the greater community to be able to to connect with other people obviously that are Greek Orthodox and to see kind of the 
trips through their through their eyes as, as well, um, I think was was really beneficial and something that people can understand because you know um, because I knew what I wanted to do. It was also like very subtly of what am I getting myself into? Does that make sense? Uh, and it was kind of like a, a a test ground. Like, well, what do what do you like? Oh, you like this? Okay, why? And then to be able to to um, take that and say, okay, how am I going to be a better priest? It was like again, this three years old until the moment of getting assigned was very much a very long journey, and that's why I. You know, the, there wasn't like anything like I would say like, oh, I went to I went to youth group all the time, or I did all these kind of activities. Um, you know, it was going to church, chanting, going to seminary. Like these are the things that I was interested in. Other people and other clergy friends of mine, you know, they had youth group. I remember that some of them they even went to. Like, they went to New York, they went to, uh, they went to Greece, the Holy Land, and these things were really good for them. And I actually met a friend of mine uh, after the trip, I think, to the Holy Land, and he went for a service. Uh, and it was literally, he was off the plane and he went to the service, and I saw him in his flip-flops, and I'm just like, what are you doing, right? Like, you're in church, right? And then we, we met and we became really good friends. Um, so it's like, I know that that was there for them. That wasn't my personal journey, though. So I'm sorry that it kind of lacks, you know, for the answer, but that's also the thing that makes it like unique. And that's something I think for people that are not cradle Orthodox Christians and that are searching or even that have gotten baptized, there is no one way to be an Orthodox Christian. There are no boxes to check other than the confession of faith, right? All the other things are ephemeral at, uh, at best. And sometimes they they bring us down at worst because it's like, well, I didn't get to do this or I didn't have this experience. I don't have these group of friends. It doesn't matter, right? Mm. All of these things are just extra stuff that makes, you know, your, um, your icon look nicer, if you will, right? But sometimes mm. the simplest icon can still be the most beautiful. Mm. Could you, it kind of sounds like you're getting to that notion of like capital T tradition versus lowercase T tradition. Could you maybe speak a little bit about from a Greek perspective, what are the things that are beneficial, but um, unique aspects of Greek orthodoxy that aren't necessarily capital T uh, tradition? If that makes I sense. I remember the, so something very liturgical. Right. I remember uh, learning this in, in seminary that the service of uh, uh, the sacrament of holy unction is done for Greek Orthodox communities on Holy Wednesday. And yet it's not done for everybody else. And I was like, whoa, but this is like the thing. Right. So I thought that that was really interesting. And again, it, it, it was the first big thing that I saw uh, that was um that was a small T tradition that I thought was a capital T. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, in, uh, for, for Greek Orthodox people, um, you know, customs, uh, you know, the, the, the small T of um, inside the church, how we celebrate certain saints and that we are more prone to celebrate them than for example, the evangelists, right? Like they're the ones that told us about the Lord. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, going to, uh, like for myself, programming a service and having a divine liturgy either in the morning or in the evening for the evangelists. And so few people show up and yet, you know, if it's one of these quote unquote popular saints, uh, that, you know, the church will be full or at least have way more people in it. Um, and I think that's something that is unique to every single ethnic Orthodox church, Greek, uh, you know, Ukrainian, Romanian, Russian, whatever they are, because everybody has their favorites, I guess. Um, for uh, for uh, Greek Orthodox uh, as well, you know, that marrying of, of culture a lot, uh, whereas I remember once I got in a, got in a bit of a verbal uh, spat with, with another priest because it was March 24th in the evening, which for us is the Vespers of the Annunciation of the Virgin Mary, and I did English. And he goes to me, 
Like tomorrow is Greek Independence Day. You know, it should be like, it should be a sin, he goes to me, to speak English. And I'm like, well, the Annunciation of the Virgin Mary is for everybody, right? It's for the entire human race. So I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and I think something like that, um, equating national holidays uh, with these with these feasts is good because it will bring people to church, obviously, and for uh, anything, just like the crowns and the wedding were taken from pagans and they were Christianized, right? To be able to take these holidays and to be able to, to Christianize them and, and show um, and show our devotion to God and our thanksgiving to him. But at the same time, it's, it's, also, it's also bad because then people are just coming for, you know, for the fun, let's put it that way. And it's not, you don't come to church for, for fun. You come to, you come to, to be united with Christ and with your neighbor, to fight your demons, to be able to, um, you know, ascend the ladder, if you will, um, rather than just sticking around and just saying, I'm happy here. Um, I, I don't think that any martyr ever said, oh, this is good, right? That's okay. Uh, uh, they, they, um, they're the examples, you know, of, of faith that we need to that we need to be like and that's why these these small t traditions um liturgical or otherwise um and and like people yeah you know seeing them just to come for pascha uh, in the evening at eleven fifty to take the light not even wait for the gospel and to leave kind of thing is like we have made the holy light a beautiful thing inside of our tradition uh now um we, we've made it into an idol and and that is not good the holy light is a holy thing but anything holy can still be made bad if the person takes it and defiles it um, and that's why like these kind of things bother me it should be um we should show it the proper respect that it deserves um you know the flower on uh, on uh, Holy uh, Friday from the tomb of the Savior, right? Like that's more important than chanting along and stuff like that. It's not everybody, like thank God, right? Uh, but the vocal minority sometimes drowns out the amazing people that are around that want this relationship with with God through their neighbor, right? Yes, yes. And uh, it's a good tie in that you mentioned with the martyrs that it involves our whole lives and it is often uncomfortable and that God, unfortunately, unfortunately, from our perspective, not from his, but doesn't save us from suffering, but saves us through it. And the work of the liturgy is often difficult and it takes a lot of effort and you're standing the whole time. It's tiring. It's, you know, you have other yeah. things that flash through your mind, but it's important. So, um, were there certain challenges that you encountered along the way uh, being raised Orthodox that you had to overcome? A grade 10 teacher once told me, my math teacher, goes to me that I celebrate the real Easter. I celebrated this week and not next week. And that I remember just like, I was so angry um, because, I, because I'm like, how does he have the audacity to say something like that? And then as you get, as you get older, even even older from that, you find this type of hostile attitude, and then they'll um, uh, some some people, and and so some people will just discount you just because you're religious. That's just a general problem of uh, you know some people in society today, right? Other people will say, well. Um, you know, being, being Orthodox is wrong because of X, Y, Z. I saw this on YouTube. It's like all of a sudden YouTube has become the arbiter of truth. No, no offense, obviously to the podcast, listen to this podcast people. Right. Uh, so, um, and, uh, you know, but we have that. And then the, the other side where it's only a certain brand of, of orthodoxy that we can subscribe to and everything else is like is is hogwash and you're stuck in the middle of this vortex um uh going to the protestant seminary uh, i was in a i was in a class uh, that was a church history class obviously through their perspective right um and one of the kids one of the 
students that were there made fun of the Theodoros. And I bit my lip because I'm like, I don't really want to start this debate right now. At the break, I go to the professor and I go, listen, I'm going to leave because I'm going to, like, I'm very upset. But like, these guys need to learn that, you know, Christianity is not simply their version of Protestant, right? Um, and maybe to have a little bit more respect. And I remember that I left and the professor, uh, you know, spoke to them and said, hey, listen, what you said, you might find funny. Some people laughed in this class. And yet, um, you know, this is, this is what one of the students in here believes. And then all of a sudden, kind of everybody went quiet because they thought that I was still there. Um, so, you know, you have... You have these things that happen, but again, the discomfort is just something that's part of the deal. If uh, if people think that Christianity is comfortable, they don't know what Christianity is. Uh, then Jesus should have died of old age uh, instead of on a cross for our salvation. Um, and and you know that's why I hate the song uh, "What If God Was One of Us" because he became like one of us, right? He died like we're going to die if he suffered like we suffer um and i'll challenge your thought by the way before how like you know unfortunately for us we suffer suffering sometimes can be the best thing for a human being um because we find out that without him capital h we we are just lost in the in you know this sea uh and without a rudder and all of a sudden he shows up, takes the wheel, and then all of a sudden there's this there's this calm, um, you know, in the world. So suffering, not that I wish suffering, obviously, on anyone, because that's just horrific. Um, but I do pray that if anyone, like myself, in my life, various times, and everyone else, whenever we do face suffering, that we know that the one who allowed it to happen still loves us and that he'll be with us on the journey. Mm, absolutely. And here, let me run a thought by you and you, you tell me what you think about it. But um, I'm of the opinion that uh, difficulty perfects humanity, that the only way to become complete, and that's the sense of perfect that I'm meaning there, is through yes. difficulty of some kind. And that this is just the nature of reality. And sometimes I think we're tempted to think of this post fall, like after Adam and Eve strayed from God, that now suffering is a part of the world. And I think that kind of suffering is, there's a certain taint to it, but the notion that just difficulty is the way that humans become more like God, um, and that that's been there since the beginning. I, I think there's an argument for that in the sense that Adam and Eve actually faced this temptation in the garden. And it was obviously difficult because that's why they fell away from God. It wasn't just this easy test that was administered to them. And so I wonder about this notion that um, just part of who we are has to go through difficult things. And that's the only way that we grow as individuals. And so that in the long run, it is much better for us. And that's sort of, you know, the divine perspective on it. The human perspective is, you know, it's horrible. I don't want to be in this. Get me out of it. But um, do you think that that is a, a fair maxim to have in the orthodox christianity that difficulty perfects humanity or saves humanity i would i would say that it uh, it perfects humanity yeah definitely because again uh if they persecuted me they they'll persecute you like it's in the manual right uh and so you know jesus told us to prepare us that being a christian is hard it's very difficult and that goes from catechumen to to you know newbie christian to christian all of your life and you're ready to die uh you know on the on the bed of pain and 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 death um, i uh i recently uh, saw some people that were in a lot of uh it was it was the end of their life and they actually passed away a couple of days ago i've known these people since i got here um so this one uh, woman who passed away I went to her thinking that all of this suffering that she had went through, that she would be inconsolable. She gave me um, hope. That's the right word. She was just like, God granted to me all of his blessings throughout my life. My life is, is his. And I was just blown away. I'm like, what am I doing here? Right. 
So it really is how you see your life and how you see that suffering. Sometimes, again, suffering for a sober person will be like, obviously, God does not will suffering on on anyone he allows it to happen right which is very very important uh, you know differentiation that we need to sit back and 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 say but through that you can make that suffering yours if you will or you can allow it to suffocate you like i'll give you an example i'm a diabetic all right so i've been a diabetic since i was in grade seven um i can uh, use that and say, well, you know what, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, woe is me. It's horrible that I can't have cheeseburgers all of my life kind of thing and eat and drink whenever I please. And, or I can sit back and say, and I, and I sometimes have the struggle of the first one, don't get me wrong. Okay, that's the part of being a human being, right? Uh, or I can sit back and say, God allowed this to happen to me so that I can become healthier so that I can give glory to him and to be able to thank him for everything else that I have and to be able to show a level of spiritual maturity in a world that is filled with people who sometimes do not act mature. Because let's face it, you know, having any kind of uh, disease, whatever you want to call it, right, is not easy. But people that are, people have this hope, um, all of a sudden they sit back and they, they have, they have a way, they have, like, they can see the way to true peace that only comes through Christ. And that happens by going through I think it's through the uh, on and the epistle of Barnabas that says, you know, those who seek me shall go through tribulation and despair. Right. Um, I remember reading that in um, Bishop Goddess's Where's uh, the Orthodox Church, right, um, as one of those little quotes. And um, like, if the if it was good enough for the martyrs, it's good enough for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but so <clears throat> you mentioned some of these challenges, some of these external challenges that you faced uh, being raised Orthodox with people that would sometimes mock the faith or have a different take on it. Um, were there uh, internal challenges as well, maybe as you navigated some of those small T traditions versus the capital T traditions or other things um, that were inherent to, to growing up Orthodox? Internal. Um... I remember once I I thought, why can't I why can't I become bishop and, and you know and because I have to be unmarried right kind of thing and I went to an ordination of a, a bishop um, and I love the glitz and glamour and for one day I was like well maybe I should think about it maybe not and stuff like that. And the next day I remember like that that struggle happened for a day and then the next day I got up and I'm like yeah this is totally not your path what's the matter with you kind of thing. You're doing it just for the glitz and glamour. When I would be chanting, uh, the beginning, when I first started to chant, um, a big struggle was the uh, the priest would always say, oh, look, you know, he's such an amazing chanter, stuff like that. And I got it for like months, every single week. And then one week he didn't say it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, why didn't he say it? Wasn't it good and blah, blah, blah. So this, you know, this, this ego, uh, that has been you know it's been watered and everything and you know it's this this hideous plant that's in front all of a sudden takes a blow um and yeah that's not that 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 was something for me i remember just like looking back that was like yeah you you never want to go there right um and this can happen even for someone who is you know researching the faith right not even a catechumen yet it's like, well, look at you, you're taking initiative, you're being so good, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you see that person again, be it a church, Costco, wherever. And, you know, and they don't give you the same praise. And it's like, well, why did I do anything? No, it's, you're not doing anything. You got it in a moment, it's done. And, and that's it. But, you know, that we seek to gratify ourselves and to be able to think that we're checking these mysterious check boxes to get into the kingdom of God. Whereas I think that all of us need, uh, and my, my, myself first, 
all of us need a little bit more humility and the world would be a better place. Mm, mm. It reminds me a little bit. I heard a Catholic priest once say that initially when God is drawing us to himself, he'll give us uh, these tasty things like these candies, as it were, and almost appeal to our, our, our vain thoughts because that's what he's dealing with. And he's, he's drawing us to himself. And that at a certain point, um, and this is more prevalent in some forms of Catholic theology where God, quote unquote, abandons us or stops doing those nice things for yes, us. And that's um, actually uh, a gift. And it gets back to that notion of suffering and how it's something that is, um, it matures us. It's, I think, in similarity to even having kids, right? Having kids is very difficult work. It confronts you with all the things that, all the ways you're selfish, but it makes you into a much better person, I would argue, because it shows you how to care for other people when it's inconvenient and you don't want to do it. And so it seems the same thing with God that, you know, he gives us these nice things at first and then sort of strips those away and it's hard, but he's leading us to a, to a good place in the end. Yeah, definitely. Any person will tell you, I love waking up at three o'clock in the morning and changing dirty diapers, right? Is totally lying. Um, so, uh, it, it just, it, it's, it's a truth. No one wants to be woken up every single day at 3 a.m. and then five and stuff like that to be able to deal with that kind of stuff. But that's also part of being a good parent that you're going to sacrifice. Otherwise I have news for you. All right. Like, you know, um, it's, it's only going to get more interesting as children grow up and, um, with faith, um, you know, it's. In the Old Testament, we find God dealing with babies, if you will, right? With Adam and Eve. And then, you know, preteens, then we get to adolescence. And then all of a sudden, the fullness of time comes, as St. Paul says, right? Uh, and then, you know, God is dealing with this adult now. Um, if we think of ourselves, uh, you know, in that, in that way, where are we on that journey? We could, you know, someone could be 80 years old and they could still be an infant spiritually. Um, and, and that's why it's important to be able to gauge like this kind of topic where they are uh, for the priest, confessor, the person that's helping them on their journey uh, in the Orthodox Church. Don't think that that person is where you are. Because the moment that that happens, then you're trying to make a mirror image of yourself. Right, uh, but you want to be like Christ. <laughs> you don't want to be. Uh, you don't want this person to be like yourself. You want them to be like the, to be like the Lord. Um, so, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Mm -hmm. And throughout uh, your journey, there were obviously other options on the table. I imagine. I mean, you're being raised in Canada. It's somewhat of a secular society. It's going more so in recent years, and. <laughs> Be an orthodox understatement was, of uh, yeah, big <laughs> time. Uh, yeah, being, uh, being orthodox was obviously not the um, just the norm. It wasn't like you're on autopilot and that's how you found yourself being orthodox. So why did you uh, choose to remain orthodox? Um, why did I choose to remain orthodox? My uh, grade uh, twelve law teacher uh, implored my mother to become a lawyer for me to become a lawyer because uh, she's like, he has such a gift and stuff like that. And uh, my mother just turns to her and says, you can go tell him yourself kind of thing. He's sitting right there. It was a parent teacher interview. Um, because again, it was, it was just the only thing that I ever wanted to do. It was this, it, it can't be qualified into words, right? Um, that there was nothing else that I could do that would make me happy, I guess, right? Uh, if, that, if that makes sense. Um, so that's why I always saw, I always saw that. I would say for people that are, that are listening and watching today, um, happiness comes from being united with Christ because he is true happiness, unadulterated happiness. Um, and the moment that you see through God willing, you know, the advice of your confessor, your spiritual guide and whatnot inside the church, um, that you see that happiness, you know, in the, in the distance, um, sometimes you'll have to walk and sometimes you'll have to run, um, but don't sit down. You still have to keep on going. And, um, that's, that's how I saw, that's how I saw 
got part of the journey, sorry, just like with all of this, so many memories again, just like come to the come to the forefront, right? Um and um yeah, for 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 advice. You want me to say about advice by the way to uh to people that are sorry. Maybe maybe before we get to that part, that is yeah, definitely sorry. the direction I want to take it in. But you mentioned that true happiness is found in communion with Christ as we know Christ. And that at first sounds like a bit of an oxymoron in the sense that Christ leads us through suffering. And yet we're still, there's some sort of joy there or happiness there. So can you maybe talk a little bit more about how you're uh, defining happiness? It's, uh, how, how do I define happiness? Um, again, the not into, not into words. Um, the, the love of God manifest in our lives is how I would define, uh, you know, that, that joy. And that happens for, for cradle Christian, from the lather of regeneration and in baptism, um, to the wonderful moments that, you know, that we do have in church, that we choose to have in church, um, the various, uh, relationships that we, that we have with family and that are grounded in Christ. The moment that we see the other as an icon of Christ, I think is a moment of pure joy because then all of a sudden we know that by the grace of God, we've actually, we've actually matured spiritually. Um, because you know, Max, you're, you're, you're doing this and this is a service to the church. And if I don't see you as an icon of Christ, then like I fail. Right. Um, so I, I think that all of the, you know, this, this joy to be complete is to take a look at an entire icon of Christ with kind of like, like a mosaic icon, right? And every single part of the mosaic is every single person that you'll meet and how you will act with them and how, like how they act with you is their choice, right? But that, that joy is to be able to give what we know, uh, you know, Christ telling us to love God with all of our being and love our neighbor as ourselves to our neighbor. Uh, and the more that we do that, then even if they don't like us, even if they hate us, they're, they're still a, a piece of that mosaic. Uh, and then, you know, this icon of Christ becomes more and more and more complete until the end of our life, when God willing, uh, it will be a full icon. Uh, and then when we shut our eyes on this earth, um, the joy will be complete because that icon will be that living, breathing Christ meeting us at the kingdom wiping away our tears and like that, that for me, I guess, is the ultimate joy to have Christ at the doors of the kingdom of God, wiping away my tears and saying, welcome to the kingdom. Um, like everything else is just a prefiguration to that greatest joy. And the greatest of that is participation in the, in, 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 in the Eucharist, um, to be able to receive the Lord's body and blood uh, for the forgiveness of sins and, and, and life eternal. Mm, mm. So I, I'm just going to try to summarize that and you let me know what you think of it. Yes. And I'll, and I'll put I'm it very in sorry for the long winded answer. So classic no, I think it was, Greek it was priest good... style, right? Long answer <laughs> that can be summarized in a sentence. <laughs> so if, if I was going to summarize it, I would say that happiness is something like there's the emotional side of it, which comes and goes and is very fickle and you can't rely on it at all. That's like a horrible foundation to build anything yeah. on. But then there's this um, sense of, and I'm going to try to borrow some of what you were saying, but just put it in different words. So the sense of uh, becoming who you are meant to be, that that is true happiness, that you know you are on the right trajectory, that uh, who you are is something in the future, as it were, that you have this uh, potential that you're trying to realize and manifest through the grace of God, and that as you're aiming towards that and approximating it and growing in maturity, that's how you know you're happy. And then the other aspect of that is uh, less just focused on the, the self and more outward in the sense that when other people uh, become Christ to you, that they are means to Christ. And I think maybe what you could say with that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that you can see others' actions, uh, in a, sometimes in a mysterious way, as, as willing your good, because love is when you will the good of the other person. At least that's one yeah. definition of love. And so um, it seems that 
if we trust that even in the suffering that Christ is somehow perfecting us, that the actions, even from someone, say, like an enemy, um, can be understood as something that is transforming us, that's actually pushing us closer to Christ. And in that sense, we can be happy in those moments or joyful in those moments. And then obviously the other people that aren't as malicious, they aren't our enemies, we can see them even more so as Christ's love towards us. But um, w- would that be a, a valid I think I think that's excellent. And as I was listening to it again, it's like joy is theosis. Mm becoming partakers of the divine nature, right? As uh, St. Peter the Apostle says. I think that is real joy. And everything else other than that real joy uh, is either a prefiguration to real joy, like, you know, um, holding your kid for the first time, let's say, right? Getting married and stuff like that. It's a, it's a, it's a precursor to that. Or it's this false joy that the world brings by likes and, you know, people that see, you know, what we do and congratulate us and stuff like that. Uh, All of this uh, is just, you know, it's vain. So it's a matter of choosing the, you know, which path is the right one and to be able to take that, take that path. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I really like the summary, Max. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. You, <laughs> you took a, 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 you know, jumble of things and, and, and made it really good. So thank you. Uh, well, I'm glad that it, it passed the test of uh, politics. <laughs> that's, that's important to me. So um, in conclusion, I mean, we've got some time still, but what would be your advice for someone that's uh, interested in orthodoxy? We've got people listening that maybe aren't attending a church. They're intrigued by this orthodox thing that they've stumbled across. What would be your advice to someone like that? Um, okay, so number one, you are um, you're always welcome, and we never leave anyone outside in the rain. But you're not going to fix the church yourself, right? Number two, you are not expected to uh, come in, and all of a sudden, everyone will be your friend. It's going to be very intimidating for even other people uh, to come up to you sometimes, even though they have the best of intentions because they just don't know, they're shy, whatever. Um, So I would say when you go to a church, especially a new one, I'm not saying you should go around to everybody, but see who you think you can jive with and just reach out. Sometimes it's as simple as let me just get that, you know, water for you or something like that during the coffee hour downstairs, or just simply saying good morning and the other person saying hi, hi, I'm someone new. And I know that's really, really difficult for a lot of people um, because it's it's scary, right? We're afraid of the unknown, but it's important to do. Um, I think uh, also um, for uh, people that are looking at orthodoxy, I think it's important to be able to um find your spiritual guide your spiritual father your confessor and for them to be someone who is grounded in in faith and to be able to listen to what they're going to tell you when it's going to come for the um uh, for your preparation uh in uh you know before baptism because the moment that you're really serious about it and it's not just oh you know something's you know, this is just something to try and that's it. Because, you know, there will be that phase too, right? Like you want to see what all this orthodoxy business is all about. But then all of a sudden, when it's more than just that, and it's like, yeah, I actually I actually am starting to really believe this, or I do really believe this. When uh, any new person uh, comes inside, see, again, who you gel with, who you're going to, um, uh, who will help you on this spiritual journey. Um, and uh, you know, through your, through your spiritual father, through your spiritual guide, uh, to be able to get closer to Christ. Don't sit back and think that you have to read every single book on orthodoxy, because sometimes you might not necessarily find the best literature or, uh, even that you're going to find, you know, things that you can't understand. Like you're not going to pick up St. Maximus, the confessor and start reading. If you do, uh, you know, you're not going to understand a lot of what you're reading. Um, and to be able to, you know, the first time that you go to your, uh, to your parish, even though they might not necessarily be 
your spiritual father, your confessor, even though it usually ends up that way. Connect with the priest, even though, yes, he's busy with everyone else, he will find time. Any good priest will be able to find time for you because you're still in the image of God. You're on this journey and, you know, God willing, he's going to help you on this journey. So take the time. Don't worry. It's our job. <laughs> like, you know, if we if we can't do that, it, then that's, you know, um, you, have, you have to kind of ask why. Uh, like I remember once there was a there was an inquirer uh, for uh, to become Orthodox, but it was the same day that I was leaving at like so liturgy finished at 1130 and the flight was leaving at two because I needed to go for a clergy meeting in Ontario. And it's like, OK, listen, wonderful to meet you. I can't talk with you right now because like I'm going to be late for my flight and Air Canada is not waiting for me. So um, so that's why I give your priest some grace as well. Um, when you go and see them uh, and they did come and see me afterwards. So that was, that was cool. Ended up getting baptized. It was fantastic. Um, so, um, and take a look at every single day as one new step to the kingdom of God. Every step will not be the same. Sometimes they will be amazing experiences, amazing days, fervent faith, like, you know, feed me to the lions kind of thing. I'm going to confess Jesus. And then other times it'll be like, this is so boring or I, I don't get it. I'm upset with this person. And a lot of times when people don't come back to church, it usually traces back to, I got in a fight with this person, right? Or this person spoke rudely to me and I just chose not to go back. Don't allow Satan to, you know, go inside your heart and pitch a tent there because some person decided to act in a wrong way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, your relationship together with Christ in his church is more than just one person being rude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and when I think someone, someone is someone... new to something, it's easy for them to take uh, a single instance and blow it out of proportion. So when you first go to an Orthodox church, it can be easy to encounter, some, encounter someone who's maybe a bit of a jerk there and think, oh, maybe this is what all Orthodox people are like. And that's the same phenomenon yeah. that we have, you know, in, in many aspects of life. Um, and it leads to unhelpful stereotypes. So it sounds like yeah. that's a part of what you're getting at there. Just, you know, take it for yeah. what it is. There are people there, they're working out their salvation. They're not all perfect, uh, but there exactly. are good people and you will find them if you stick around. Yeah. And one last thing I think for um, Greek Orthodox churches that I've found that has been really, it's irked me at least, they call them Greek churches. I'm like, we're not pagans. I tell those people and anyone that's listening to this, that is a cradle Christian. It's like, it's not, insert whatever you want there uh you know uh, ethnic background church it's the orthodox church so if inquirers or catechumens hear that oh you know we go to the greek church don't necessarily correct because they'll be like oh you're just new to the game but just remember it's the orthodox church we love you guys we want to be able to help you in any kind of way so that you can come and get to know this you know person of Jesus Christ together with his father from everlasting and the all holy good and life-giving spirit how much this God loves you and me and every single person um but we can't we can't do that you know simply through meeting for coffee or simply through one service this is one of those things that it's like Tertullian says Christians are not born they become so um, you know, that process of becoming, um, God willing, at least for, uh, you know, people that come to, to, to this parish and I can speak for a lot of other Orthodox churches here in BC, cause I'm blessed to have an amazing brotherhood of priests, uh, here, uh, some of, uh, who have been on this program right here. Um, that process of, of becoming, um, is really prevalent with, uh, with a lot of us and we want to help you become, and hopefully you will help us become as well. Mm. Well, that is a wonderful place to conclude for today, Father Tim. So I want to thank you for your time. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. All right. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to mine. I pray that God blesses you and sanctifies you and everyone who's watching.
Thanks for watching that episode of the Orthodox Christian Podcast. If you have a question about Orthodox Christianity, there is a link in the video description that you can check out, and it'll take you to a Google form. Also, if you know someone that would be a good guest on the podcast, you can definitely uh, put that contact info in the Google form, and I will do my best to reach out to them and see if they're interested in coming on to the podcast. And the final thing is, if you found something of value in this podcast, please share it with one friend or family member. And in the meantime, I hope that you have a peaceful week. Take care.